unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And we thank you once again for listening coming up on this edition. We'll talk to Chip Carey, the play-by-play voice of the Atlanta Braves. As we get ready to get embarked on the 2020 Major League Baseball season, Chip is standing by in the virtual green room and will join us in just a moment. Ah, boy, it was good Saturday night to see some Major League Baseball on my television, even though it was exhibition. It was great to see as we anticipate the start of the season on Thursday and getting at least an early preview of how things will look without fans in the stands. The piped-in crowd noise, the uh, the canopies that were set up in the lower concourse for some of the players to sit under so the dugouts would not be overcrowded Ah, but it was just good to see some live sports, even though it doesn't count towards the standings. It's definitely great to have it back. The NFL, meanwhile, sent word to all teams that training camps will start on time this week, even though it's still negotiating the economics and on-field logistics. Dozens of NFL players, including the likes of Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, had to voice have really voiced their displeasure over how the league has not met expectations on how to handle player safety yet, and there is no clear path in, clear plan in place as of yet. So stay tuned to that. The nightmare continues for Washington owner Dan Snyder after years of steadfastness that the team would never change its name. And Snyder, of course, now has come around on that and agreed to the name change amidst losing millions of dollars of FedEx money. Now comes a multitude of sexual harassment allegations against the organization and a breaking story from the Washington Post. Snyder now vows that the culture will change. And that was echoed by head coach Ron Rivera, whom, guessing at this juncture, did not believe he'd be working to do so much cleanup of this dysfunctional organization and headaches he really does not need in trying to fix the on-field product. But he's becoming the good guy fixture in the public relations of the team in this turbulence. And having listened to some DC Sports Talk Radio, Snyder and his cronies have been running a boys club for a very long time. So none of the harassment news is really a surprise. And just like the name change and the ever-changing outlook of the world, Snyder only now coming around on quote-unquote fixing it, not because he wanted to, but because he's been called out and now he has to. And happy birthday to Vern Lundquist, who turned 80 years young this past Friday. Yes, sir. From his classic calls at the Masters, March Madness, and SEC football, Vern is one of the all-time great play-by-play guys. And I always contend that CBS should have given him the gift of calling a Final Four before his semi-retirement. It would have been gracious and deserving. And Jim Nance has called and will call many more Final Fours. So it would have been a nice gesture on their part. Hopefully we will see Uncle Vern on 16 at Augusta when the Masters tease it up in November. It is my pleasure to welcome to the podcast this week the Atlanta Braves play-by-play voice Chip Carey. And full disclosure, I had some audio technical difficulties at the beginning of the interview, so we're going to pick things up where I am discussing with Chip the 60-game season where Lynn's opportunities for surprise teams to be in the mix for the playoffs. And with the shortened season, a slow start 
is kind of hard to overcome. Uh, but I think it's going to be exciting in, in that regard. Uh, from a baseball standpoint, every game, every out, every run is going to take on extra added importance. Look, you you know, uh, it's like two and a half games in one. That's basically what uh, this season's going to be uh, for each of the 60 games played. So I think the strategies, the managerial permutations, how bullpens are used, how uh, often guys are allowed to stay in the lineup if they get off to those individual slow starts. All of that, I think, is going to be fascinating theater uh, because, look, you lose five games in a row or six games in a row, that's the tenth of your season. And uh, with everybody else battling for you know, one of those six postseason spots uh, in each league or whatever it is, uh, I think uh, <laughs> there's going to be a great sense of urgency and drama that uh, is ordinarily not uh, not there for such a long stretch of games. So it'll be different. It'll be unique. Uh, there'll be some different rule changes, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Uh, but this is the year, if ever, to be open-minded and excited about the fact that we've got baseball back in whatever form it's going to take. And I think we'll find out in real time what we like, what we don't like about the new rules, the 60-game sprint, how many games are enough and all of that and uh, as i said hopefully uh, we'll get them all in and get the postseason in too yeah and you talk about the uh, the braves pitching staff was already you know set up pretty well for what would be a regular season but you'd have to think with this shortened season with the number of arms they have especially with this beef up bullpen that's got to be an advantage if they pitch well, I'm a little concerned right now. Uh, Cole Hamels does not look to be ready uh, at the start of the season. Uh, it was hoped that his shoulder problems, which were uh, flared up in, in the first spring training, uh, that this layoff would help him get back and be ready to go. To my understanding of the time you and I are talking, he's had some triceps tendonitis and hasn't pitched or is very, very slow in coming along. So I don't know if he'll be ready to go opening day. Uh, Felix Hernandez opted out because of COVID. So that's two veteran guys that you were counting on in your rotation that aren't going to be there. So you figure your first three are going to be Soroka, Freed, Fulton, Evitt, Sean Newcomb's the fourth. And then to your point about depth, that's where you get into Kyle Wright, Tuki Toussaint, Bryce Wilson, Chris Russin, guys like that, Josh Tomlin. Uh, there are some other options there for Brian Snitker that he can use. But what looked like at the, the start of this spring training 2.0 to be a very big strength for the Braves, I think in some ways at the back end is a question mark that obviously we're going to have answered once we, uh, once we start playing games for real next week. And, of course, they did uh, beef up the back end of the bullpen, so they've got a lot of good arms there. And uh, I think bullpen is going to be very important in this shortened season. Yeah, because starters won't go very deep, at least not most of them in, in the early going, three, four innings at the most, I would expect, uh, for those guys. Again, going back to the depth issue, they had Will Smith. He was the big-ticket free agent signing out of the bullpen, but he's been sidelined with COVID. He's asymptomatic, and to my knowledge, has not yet had two uh, negative tests in a row, so he's still on the shelf and can't be there. That said... Uh, the Braves have Chris Martin, they have Luke Jackson, they have Mark Melanson, they have Shane Green. Uh, they've got a host of other guys that can get, get outs in the seventh, the ninth innings as well. So their bullpen's very deep, it's very good, it's very versatile. Lefty, righty splits, doesn't matter, they get them out. High strikeout, leverage guys, uh, which in this day and age in baseball is very, very important. But uh, certainly getting Will Smith back would lengthen that bullpen and make Brian Snicker a little more comfortable or give him at least a few more options in the late innings of these uh, what should be tight games. Of course, you mentioned some of the uh, nuances of the season. We're going to have the universal DH, and we're going to have a runner at second to start extra innings. What are your thoughts on those things? Uh, I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, I'm not a fan of the DH, but as I said, this is not the year to stand on your moral ground and, and uh, hold your breath until you're purple and say that's not baseball, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Let's try it. 
uh, you know, for 60 games, it's not going to kill anybody. And, and I would tell him if I would tell him this, if he was sitting next to me around right now, if you've seen Mike Fulton, hit, you'd probably be in favor of a DH <laughs> in the national league. Uh, so let's find out. Let's see if it works in real time. Uh, it's probably not going to be there for next year, but it will be in the collective bargaining agreement for 2022. Should we have one moving forward with major league baseball? Um, I'm not a fan of it, but look, uh, you, it's adapt or die. And I think it's uh, an idea whose time has probably come in our sport and a unified set of rules, I think makes a whole lot of sense as well as economic and geographic realignment. But that's something we can talk about another day. Uh, as far as the runner in second and, uh, and starting extra innings with that, they don't want the players on the field forever. They're trying to limit exposure. Uh, and look, nobody likes 18, 19 inning games. And with uh, no minor leagues and, and the taxi squads and all that, the last thing you want to do is blow out a couple of teams' bullpens in a couple of 15 or 16 inning games uh, you know, in the middle of July or August. So, uh, again, that's another idea. Let's see, if, let's see how it works. Uh, I think the strategy involved in that is going to be fascinating. Let's say you... You start that inning with a runner at second base. Do you walk the first hitter a pitcher faces intentionally to set up a double play? I mean, all kinds of cool things that we normally wouldn't think about are going to be there for the armchair managers and the real-life managers to think about. And while it won't be the same kind of strategy, there'll be different strategy. It'll be fun to see how it works out and what uh, what the end results are. Yeah, I guess you know, with the advantage of having a short season, you get a chance to tinker and try some things that you would maybe want to would want to roll out for a whole 162 campaign. Yeah, and well, and look, baseball to its credit, look, you, there are a lot of the rules I hate. Uh, you know, I hate the no contact rule at second. I hate the catcher collision rule at the plate. I don't like all the replay that we have. But you know, as I said, adapt or die. I don't make the decisions. But uh, at least baseball has been willing to try these things. They've been trying it in the minor leagues. We don't have a minor league season this year. So uh, in so many ways, our sport, despite the tragedy of, of what's been going on in the world, and from a baseball strictly perspective of losing 100 uh, regular season games, they do have a marvelous once-in-a-generational opportunity to try these things out with the best players in the world on the biggest stages and in real time to see what makes sense and what doesn't going forward. So I applaud the fact that baseball is willing to try it. I applaud the fact that the players are on board the managers are on board and we fans look we're gonna have to get used to it it's gonna be different it's gonna be different for the broadcasters uh it's gonna be strange for all of us but uh you know we're living in strange times we're living in interesting times so let's make the most of it and see what we like and have an honest debate about it when the year's over yeah and of course another difference is going to be whether you're at home or on the road you're going to be broadcasting games from atlanta what will be the challenges of calling the games remotely uh well you won't be there. You won't. Your eyes and ears won't be where the game is. There's so much that gets seen that isn't shown by the camera. That's so important to how we call a game. Uh, so we're really going to be relying when the Braves are on the road on excellent camera work and the ability to capture and see things uh, that we can't see because we're not there. Look, I, I firmly believe that having eyes and ears on the ground where the games are played is so much better for the coverage because you just absorb so much more. You get a feel of atmosphere. You get a feel for, uh, you know, the, the the speed with which the balls hit. I mean, that's the one thing that television doesn't do. It doesn't give you a gauge in real time of how hard a guy is throwing because it all looks the same. Uh, your eyes and your presence, I think, really makes that uh, come alive for me. Not to mention all the interactions that you would get in a normal season with players and coaches and broadcasters and all of that. So uh, it's going to be somewhat sterile to start. 
Um, but, you know, look, we have a great crew. Uh, we're relying on the folks in New York and Tampa Bay for the first uh, two series for us. We'll return the favor when uh, the Braves come back for their home games. Uh, but, look, we're not complaining. We're happy to have baseball in whatever form it is. It'll be a challenge. And I think for Jeff Rancourt, Tom Glavin, and me, our job is just to have fun with it. We, we're not going to lie about the fact that we're not there. Uh, we'll do the best we can with the, uh, the video we're provided. And uh, hopefully uh, we'll still be able to bring home a great quality broadcast that people are going to enjoy. So unlike the, your other sports brethren, baseball will not be in a bubble environment. And although you won't be traveling initially, the teams will be. And I know there's lots of people at MLB, the Braves organization. They're working hard to keep everybody healthy. And what do you think those challenges are going to be to get through the season? And do you have any trepidation about uh, going into the environment? Zero. I have none. I have no fear of this virus. I respect it. I have no fear of it. Statistically speaking, I have more uh, likelihood of getting hit by a lightning bolt twice than I do of catching this much less uh, passing from it. And I think the data certainly uh, proves that. I'm not uh, minimizing the seriousness of COVID in any way, shape, or form. And those who have been seriously uh, rendered ill by it and have passed away, obviously our sympathies go along to them. Uh, but this disease has a 99.6% survival rate, and that's the, fo- that's the number I'm focusing on. Uh, for the players who are being tested almost daily, uh, for those of us who are going to the ballpark, we're going to have our temperatures taken daily. It's safer to go to the ballpark than it is to go to the grocery store with or without a mask. And so I don't think the players are fearful of it. I think they're respectful of it. Certainly when you hear Freddie Freeman had a 104-degree temperature, that certainly opens your eyes. Thankfully, he survived and he's back playing a week later or so. Uh, that tells you how strong many of these guys' immune systems are. Uh, the challenge, to your point, is getting out of your home environment. Can the players be, can the staff be disciplined enough to remain quarantined? to a certain degree for six uh, six weeks, eight weeks. Um, you know, if you can't, uh, then the likelihood of anybody getting this or spreading it in massive ways is probably very, very small. And I was extremely encouraged with the last batch of testing numbers that Major League Baseball returned. They had 10,000-something tests, and they only had six guys come down with a positive case. Uh, that, to me, is extremely encouraging that the teams around Major League Baseball are taking this seriously, doing their due diligence, and they're doing what they can within the realms of science and common sense to stay safe from an invisible virus that could be lurking anywhere. So uh, to your point, no, I'm not, I have no trepidation. I have no fear. I'm going forward confidently. I'm sure our players are. And uh, the, the message I would give is, look, uh, Major League Baseball and the players have agreed that the cruise ship is leaving the port. Uh, get off, get on the gangway, grab an oar and let's start paddling. And if there's any concern at all, stay home. And uh, that's the advice I'd give anybody with regards to this disease. So as a major league play-by-play man, we know you love your job, and I, but I do have to ask, how much more exciting is it when the team is a contender, a great nucleus, a young talent, a front office that you know locks up the young stars and finds veteran fits like a Josh Donaldson last year, Marcelo Zuna this year? That's got to be an extra shot of adrenaline in getting to broadcast this team every day. Yeah, well, yeah, it's more fun to go to work and you know you have a chance to win every day. I mean, my dad used to laugh in the old days when uh, the Braves were winning their 14 straight division championships. He said it was fun to see the team lose three games in a row only because people just didn't know how to handle it in some ways <laughs> because they were so good. They didn't lose that way or that often. Uh, look, those of us who have been around the Braves for a long time remember it was just five, seven years ago that they were losing 96, 97 games a year and, and using 40 six pitchers and guys that were in double a the year before that uh bless their hearts just weren't ready for the major league uh uh, stage and the bright lights that that entailed so yeah we value and we love the fact that uh you go to work every day and get to watch freddie freeman and ronald acuna play every day and i firmly believe that uh we are watching a renaissance of our game the great young players that are getting to the major leagues and starring at such a young age bodes very very well for our sport 
And uh, knowing that the Braves have a good number of those already on the major league field now and a big pipeline of them coming, yeah, she gives Braves fans everywhere a, a great sense of excitement and hope. And to your point about ownership and Alex Anthopoulos, yeah, uh, there's really not much to argue about as far as what they've done and what they've been able to add to this uh, tremendous core. I mean, Alex would be the first to tell you he inherited a, a great farm system from the previous regime. And to his credit, he didn't come in like a big gunslinger trying to make a big splash and traded everybody away. He's really held his powder dry to figure out exactly who's a prospect and who's not on this uh, 40-man roster or this minor league uh, uh, group of rosters, as it were. So he deserves a lot of credit. He's been patiently aggressive, if you will. Ownership has spent enough money to keep the Braves competitive. And now it's up to the guys on the field who would be the first to tell you that uh, 2001 is way, way too long for this franchise to advance to, to post advance past the first round of postseason play. Uh, perhaps this year is the year that that'll happen, and hopefully that'll be the case. Well, one of your best descriptions you had of last year's team was that if you love ulcers, this is your team. So in addition to all the tools and talent, Brian Snicker has really molded great resiliency in this ball club. Yeah, I got in trouble for saying that. Some people thought I was being detrimental to the team. No, what I was all I was saying was that this team, you know, keeps you on the edge of your seat. I mean, Dwayne Kuyper and Mike Kruko years ago said Giants baseball torture and that's kind of what it was because there were just so many crazy finishes and so many hang on uh with your uh, fingernails ninth innings that the braves ended up holding on and, and winning uh, and brian snitker would be the first guy to tell you that there were a lot of top steps and nervous moments but it worked out and that's what makes it fun is the the uh, the, the unknown uh you know the, the expecting the unexpected from that team and uh, you're right, Brian's done a great job with this franchise since he took over. He's a Braves lifer, uh, you know, a guy that that uh, worked under so many great people in the organization, loved Bobby Cox, uh, who, who mentored Brian Snicker in many ways. Uh, Brian, who was unfairly demoted to the minor leagues uh, by uh, two regimes ago, uh, didn't quit, didn't move anywhere else, said, I'm a Brave, stayed, swallowed his pride, went to AAA, bided his time, and then got the ball, and now ends up being manager of the year, a team that's got a chance to go to postseason play for the third consecutive year uh, the players love him he's a great communicator uh he's a human being first just a good good person a fantastic baseball man and a guy that i can't think does a better job of representing himself uh the city of atlanta and the braves organization than brian snicker you know last season came to a crushing close with st louis dropping the 10 spot in the top of the first in the nlds will that in any way serve as any kind of motivation for this season or, or do they just flush it because last year's last year uh, well, in spring training 1.0, Brian Snicker said that, you know, we feel like we have unfinished business. And as painful as Game 5 was, the Braves really lost that series in Game 4 when they had the bases loaded in the 7th, 8th, and ninth innings and couldn't push across the run against the Cardinals. They they just didn't play fundamental baseball. And in postseason play, you have to do those things. And I, again, I think that's somewhat of a product of being a young team. And by young, I mean inexperienced when it came to postseason play. Uh, this is a young team now that has a taste of it. They know how good they are. They know how good they can be. Uh, but sometimes, you know, you have to learn how not to lose before you learn how to win. And that was the painful lesson they learned against the Cardinals last year. When you have a chance to step on a team's throat, you got to do it. Otherwise, uh, you may find yourself in dire circumstances. And that was the case. So, yeah, I think there's unfinished business. I think this team has a feeling of, look, we're good. We're going to be good. But now it's time to stop talking about how good we are and go out and show how good we are. And doing those little things consistently when the game is on the line are what the championship teams do. Washington did it. The Dodgers have done it the Astros have done it the Braves are certainly capable of doing it and I have every confidence in the world that if given the opportunity this year those experiences from last year will serve them very well in 2020 
And with the 60-game schedule, it's going to be different. You only play in your division and you play against the AL East. There won't be any uh, uh, forays to the rest of the National League. Um, what are your thoughts on how that uh, how that balance is for, for the schedule? Well, the Eastern teams really have a tough draw. I mean, look, you think about it. you got to face Garrett Cole. you got to face Tanaka. you got to face uh, Chris Sale. you got to face the guys for the, all the guys for the Red Sox. You might get Nate Pearson of of uh, the Toronto Blue Jays, Marcus Stroman, Jacob DeGrom for the Mets. Uh, the Marlins can throw arms at you. Uh, Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, uh, Jake Arrieta. I mean, the list goes on and on of terrific quality starting pitching in both the American and National League Easts. Uh, you know, I could see the teams coming out of the East with 32, 33 wins and being really, really good teams just because they're going to beat the crap out of each other <laughs> over these 60 uh, games coming up. But the point of that will be whoever comes out of that and contends for postseason play is going to really be well-positioned and battle-tested for uh, that postseason sprint as well. So uh, it is not going to be an easy run. There's going to be great competitive baseball. And I think what's exciting for our fans is that, you know, we're going to see some of the stars in the other league a little bit more than one time. And that's something I hope baseball addresses uh, in the future, that uh, with all these new rule changes, unified rules and all that stuff, we got to find a way to see Mike Trout on TV in Atlanta every year, whether it's in Anaheim or at Truist Park. It makes no sense to me that baseball's best player only gets seen by uh, three quarter, uh, two-thirds of its uh, baseball population instead of everybody. It's just extremely uh, short-sighted, and uh, that's one of the things that I'm excited about. We're going to see the stars from the other league, the Bo Bichettes and uh, uh, the Kevin Biggios and the Vlad, Vlad Juniors from Toronto, guys like that. We're going to see them four or five times, and that's good for the game. It'll create excitement, maybe some new fans, and hopefully some new rivalries too. So you would be in favor of maybe doing some realignment in Major League Baseball? Yes, economic and geographic realignment, absolutely. Uh, expand by two teams, get 32 teams, have eight divisions of four teams each. You could have two divisions with smaller markets, all geographically aligned. Uh, you would have less travel, less games against your division. You would play interleague play against every team in the other league. Uh, you'd alternate home series every other year. For example, the Braves would go to Seattle one year. The next year, the Mariners would come to Atlanta. Uh, you'd still play your 162 games. You'd still have more games within your division. You'd see all the players in the other league every single year. In other words, it's like an NBA-style schedule. Uh, and the great beauty of the economic realignment is you would put teams like Pittsburgh and Cleveland and Milwaukee and Detroit uh, in, in similar uh, economic circumstances so that they only had to compete with those teams to potentially get to postseason play. As remarkable as what Tampa Bay has done, and they may be the most ingenious and, and uh, intuitive organization in Major League Baseball, with a $60, 70000000 million payroll to compete every year against the Yankees and Red Sox and give them fights to the death is absolutely remarkable, but long-term it makes no sense. They should be in a division with like-minded economic teams so that they have a chance to uh, realistically compete in the division. Let's put the Yankees, the Phillies, the Red Sox, and the Mets in a super division. They're all billion-dollar organizations. They should be slugging it out with each other. Let them figure out who's best in their league, but let's look at Baltimore, Washington, and whomever uh, fight it out. You could have the Cardinals, uh, Royals, White Sox, and Cubs in a division. There'd be great rivalries and great ways to make the game more accessible and a great way to show all of the players to every bit of our fan base. That's what I hope happened. Uh, I've mentioned it a couple of times. It's kind of fallen on deaf ears, but I'm still going to beat that drum as long as I possibly can. Well, you get a couple of exhibition games this week before uh, the, the regular season gets underway on Friday. Is there any sort of uh, thing that you're looking forward to that uh, that you're anticipating that uh, maybe none of us had thought of? 
Yeah, you know, I, I, it's, I think all of us who work in baseball sometimes take it for granted. And I think, uh, you know, in all facets of it, uh, everything, everybody and everything gets taken for granted. It's not lost on me how much baseball means to me and my family. As I've said to people before, uh, the game has given me everything. It's given me and my family everything. It's a huge part of, of it's a huge part of what I do, but it's a small part of who I am. But it's still a very important part, and it's not lost on me how emotional it'll be to get back and see my baseball family, to see my friends and coworkers, to get back to some semblance of normal. Look, we're wired to uh, talk about baseball, those in my profession, and sitting home watching these other sports get started on the 4th of July was really, really hard. As you mentioned, uh, players and owners dragged themselves across a mile of broken glass to get to the finish line, <laughs> but they got there. And now that they're there, I think it's time to put all that behind us and start talking about the great game and the great players. And uh, if we can provide some semblance of a diversion, some semblance of escape and happiness and give our community and our fan base something for which to root instead of protest and be angry about or scared about, and we can all play a small role in that, uh, then I'm really, really eager to get that going. So as you said, games on Tuesday and Wednesday against the Marlins, the opener on Friday against the Mets, and uh, that's when the sprint starts to uh, postseason play ending, uh, regular season play ending on September 27th. Yeah, and before I let you go, you know, the MLB Network re-ran the infamous Rick Camp 4th of July game, and it was so wonderful to hear your dad and Pete and Ernie again. And, uh, oh, thanks. Yeah, and John Sterling, of course. Yes. Yeah, uh, that was one of my dad's great lines. Uh, his, uh, his wife, my stepmother, uh, was mad at him because he got home at 6 o'clock in the morning, and when he stumbled in after the game, he said, for the first time in my life, I told my wife I got home at 6 a.m. because I was at the ballpark and I was telling the truth. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, that was an amazing day, 4th of July. Uh, Ron Darling, who was my broadcast partner with TBS, great broadcaster with the New York Mets, got the final outs of that game. Gary Carter caught all 19 innings. Keith Hernandez hit for the cycle in that game. And Ron Darling said all he can remember was walking in after the game at Old Fulton County Stadium with John Holland was the visiting clubhouse manager. And all you could see on the floor of the clubhouse was a sea of bud cans and Chick-fil-A wrappers <laughs> uh, because the game ended so late. They just brought in food and beer and everybody just sat around and thought, my God, we just played the most amazing game that we'll ever, ever see. And uh, it's too bad Rick Camp's still not with us to, to laugh about it and talk about it. It, but you're right, one of the greatest games, craziest, wackiest games, as John Sterling called it, uh, in, in Braves, Mets, and frankly, baseball history. And to think Greg Camp actually came up with another chance to tie it at the end. It was a pretty yes, amazing. Yes, he did. Yes, I think he was the final out. Yes. Uh, he might have been the final out of the game. And if Ron Darling had given up a hit, I would have punched him in the nose <laughs> if I'd seen him 20 years later. So, yeah, great memory. And, and it's, you know, it's great to see all those former players back in the broadcast booth and remember all the great things that took place on the field at uh, the old Fulton County Stadium site. Well, Chip, I'd certainly do appreciate your time. We wish you the best, uh, uh, great success this season, and of course, uh, continued good health. I appreciate it. You too. We'll see you soon. Thanks so much. And one of the things we missed in the audio technical difficulty at the beginning of the interview was that uh, Chip is now in the podcast game as well. It's called I Just Said That, and you can find that where you find your podcast. We'll be right back to finish things off with a TV theme right after this. Five reasons why you should listen to or advertise with Captain and Company in the morning. One, just under four decades of professional broadcasting experience. AM, FM, online. Two, programming music you listened to before you settled down and started a family. Three, 
Live every weekday morning, just as reliable as your automobile. Four, no spin doctor here. I just can't fix stupid. Five, if you got this far, please go back to reason number one. Weekday mornings right here on your favorite online station. Our primary objective is to keep the groove. I got peace. Oldschool101.com. Forget about it. And that was the theme from Emergency! Exclamation point. And that ran on NBC. Started as a mid-season replacement in 1972 and ran until 1977. And they uh, had six additional two-hour television films over the next two years. The series starred Randolph Mantooth as Johnny Gage and Kevin Ty as Roy DeSoto. As two paramedic firefighters from Squad 51, a medical and rescue unit of the Los Angeles County Fire Department. And those two, of course, were uh, frequent on my sister's Tiger Beat magazine <laughs> as all the young girls looked up in loving eyes at the firemen. They work in concert with the fictional Rampart General Hospital medical staff portrayed by Robert Fuller, who was Dr. Kelly Brackett, Julie London as R.N. Dixie McCall, and it might have been my first older woman crush. Bobby Troop was Dr. Joe Early and was actually Julie London's real-life husband. Emergency was created and produced by Jack Webb and Robert A. Senator. They were behind the police dramas Adam-12 and Dragnet. And the series aired at a time when ambulance coverage in the United States was rapidly expanding and changing, and the role of paramedic emerging as a profession, and credited with popularizing the concepts of EMS and paramedics in American society, and even inspiring other states and municipalities to expand the service and you know, dra- uh, emergency, I'm sorry to say, drag dead. Uh, emergency was actually one of those shows I, you know, had pondered maybe becoming a paramedic in my adult life, but uh, was happy to go into the radio business. Uh, each episode, of course, had a big climax at the end—a major fire, disaster, or rescue that often employed many fire units and firefighters. And uh, of course, you hear lots of. Uh, vernacular from emergency uh they can always remember the the call letters they would say after they would respond they would always say engine 51 or squad 51 responding kmg 365 and then of course there's start an iv with d5w (laughs) not wd40 but d5w emergency one of my favorite shows of the 1970s and with that we are done here Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs.
Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer Cell is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net. <laughs> 